Psalm 103. We're going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're about halfway. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Where's Pastor Scott? Did he run out of the room? Oh, there you are. Seems a little cold there, brother. Okay. Did it drop down to 68 again? Okay. Faithfully. Okay, before we begin, let's pray. Psalm one, Psalm, we're in Psalm 103 this evening. Before we begin, Father, I just thank you. I just thank you for the fullness of your heart for us. I thank you for the cross, Lord. Lord Jesus, it says of you that you did not consider equality with the Father something to be held on to, but you made yourself nothing, took the form of a man, was crucified, and you were raised from the dead. And that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you're Lord. And Father, we don't want to wait until that day, the day of Your second coming, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to learn the fullness of what it means for You to be our Lord. We, we want to learn that this evening. We want to learn that now, Lord. We came here to change. Father, there's a multitude of different life situations of people's lives coming in here. We thank You that by Your Holy Spirit You promise to meet all of them, every one of us where we're at. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103, very well-known psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. This psalm has a special significance and meaning to me because... Uh, when actually when for each of my kids about the time that they were born maybe a little before or after I feel the Lord gave me what I feel was a, a prophetic word about uh, what would describe their life what would unfold uh, as as you know in their life what would be the testimony of their life and my 
um, youngest daughter, Faith, I, the Lord just gave me the psalm uh, in particular, that this psalm, these words in the first uh, eight verses here, would characterize her life as she grew and matured and just the testimony of her life, in particular in verse 4 where it says that uh, the Lord just told me that she would be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. And then in verse 8 that her life would be characterized as a reflection of this, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And that would be her character. And uh, many of you, uh, I've shared this with you before, but... When she was uh, one and a half, uh, she, she was diagnosed with a massive brain tumor. And we woke up one day, the day we didn't know uh, anything uh, was the matter with her or anything else in our life for that matter. And uh, I remember just uh, getting a, a voicemail at work from... Stephanie and Stephanie was weeping, saying they found something wrong with Faith. And then uh, I got another voicemail, and it was the doctor saying I needed to go to the hospital right then because Faith had to be operated on that day. So large was this brain tumor. It was one of the biggest, the, uh, the doctors at, at, at Children's Hospital had ever seen. Now, when you consider Children's Hospital the number one children's hospital in the world, that is uh, quite a statement. This thing looked like an octopus, this, this tumor. When I saw it on the x-ray, it was uh, the most foreboding thing I'd ever seen. It was just completely had taken over her, her head. The only reason... Um, uh, the, the only reason her her brain had not been crushed is because she still had her soft spot as a baby and her brain was just being pushed right out of it. And that actually um, was something that prolonged her life. And they said, if you don't... She needs to be operated on today. Uh, and he said, I wouldn't even wait one day. And... Um, so I, 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 you know, we were at Children's Hospital. The, uh, the um, surgery was six hours long, and I, I remember the Lord giving me uh, this psalm here, and I opened it up, and it said in verse three, it says, "The Lord heals all your diseases." But here, here is what just floored me. It said, "Who redeems your life from?" destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies and I knew right then that the Lord was going to save her because he had given me this verse it was a prophetic verse it says who redeems your life from destruction and who crowns you with loving uh, kindness and tender mercies and and uh, and she was she was redeemed from destruction and She's a, all my kids are so special. She's a very special child. And uh, the Lord has re replaced uh, the destruction, which was certain to happen, uh, with loving kindness and tender mercy. So the wonderful thing about being in the Word of God is it just becomes a part of you. And 
There's many other verses uh, in the Bible that have just become a part of me, but uh, certainly this one uh, has a special place uh, in my heart. And it brings, it starts again with uh, this verse, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I don't know, when I first became a Christian uh, 21 years ago, 22 years ago, that this song, you've probably heard it, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That was like a really popular song of that day. How many people have heard that? Anyone? Albert shaking his head. Never heard of it. Um, <laughs> Bless his heart. He has done good things. Anyway, it goes on and on. Uh, but I, I used to sing that song, but I never, for the first, I would say, five or ten years uh, of being a Christian, I did not know what that meant. What does it mean to bless the Lord? It didn't make any sense to me. I mean, the Lord blesses us. Bless the Lord. How am I supposed to bless the Lord? Like, uh, you know, like singing to him, uh, you know, how does that bless him? Remember, Psalms means song. So it, it says Psalm 103. It could be song uh, 103. Well, it blesses the Lord to sing to him. Uh, you know, so often we may come to church or wherever and people are singing and we're we're thinking to ourselves, well, I don't really feel uh, like singing. Well, the Bible teaches that it really doesn't matter what you feel. The real, real issue is that the, it blesses the Lord's heart by singing. It blesses the Lord's heart uh, to sing praises to him. Uh, but singing praises to him is just, that's just the beginning of what it means to bless the Lord. We uh, bless the Lord by obeying the Lord, obedience. And you say, well, why? What does it mean to bless the Lord? Is he like? Does he? Is he more prosperous or something? Uh, does he have something that he didn't previously have uh, if we bless him? Of course not. It, it, his heart is blessed. His heart is encouraged. The Lord's heart is encouraged as we sing to him, but also as we obey him. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Off your uh, lives as, off your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Holy and pleasing to the Lord. So, uh, uh, when someone stays in a marriage, when their spouse is, you know, mistreating them uh, greatly, but they stay in the marriage, it's their they're offering their bodies as a living sacrifice and it's pleasing to the Lord. If they're doing it for Him, Lord, in my own flesh, it's really difficult to stay with my spouse. But I'm gonna, I want to bless You, Lord. I want to bless Your heart. And, 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 and that does. That blesses the Lord. It's a, 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 a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. If you have... Um, a supervisor, a boss at work who's just uh, treats you like um, 
treats you like a low life, you know. But you 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 just really feel like no, I feel like I needed to be a testimony to this guy uh, or this woman. And I'm just going to be here. I'm going to work faithfully and be a testimony for the Lord. That blesses the Lord's heart. In fact, in First Peter, uh, it it specifically says that you need to submit or be a blessing to your boss, your master, even the ones that are harsh. <laughs> that, and, and that is commendable uh, to the Lord. It says in verse 2, forget not all his benefits. Oh, how we have a short memory when it comes uh, so often uh, uh, to the Lord. And you know what the pro- it's been said that a faulty memory um, spoils your faith, and that really is true. That if we um, if we don't remember what the Lord has done, it has a way of really affecting our faith walk. Um, I was. Doing a recent uh, teaching to a number of the folks on the ministry team uh, from Mark chapter 8, where the disciples and Jesus took a trip in a boat and they had forgotten bread. And they're like, oh no, you know, we forgot bread. And Jesus said, oh, you little faith, don't you remember that I fed the 5,000 with five loaves and three uh, fish, fish and I fed the 4,000? I forget how many. I think that was seven loaves and two fish or something like that. And it had a, their faulty memory, the fact that they forgot and, and they didn't fully appreciate that what the Lord had done in their life was affecting their faith in the now. And so how important and how many times have I been up here on Sunday nights as we've gone through the Psalms, if there's anything that we're learning from the book of Psalms, it's, it's we need to be writing in our journals even though that may be the last thing in the world you've thought of. Journal? That's for nerds and geeks. Well, maybe so. Become a nerd. Become a geek. Start writing down what the Lord has done uh, in your life because faulty memory uh, spoils your faith. And just to be able to go back and see what the Lord has done in your life. i don't, I, I got to tell you, when I think back on the things that the Lord has done in my life, it, it really enlarges uh, my faith. Uh, and it says, heals all your diseases in, in verse uh, 3. Now, you may say, well, you know, I haven't been healed of this thing. Well, you haven't been healed yet. And I just encourage you, if you have a physical ailment, to not stop seeking the Lord. The healing will come. It may come when you die. (laughs) But it could very well come earlier. We have seen miraculous healing here at this church, up here at the altar. Continue seeking the Lord. What I have found in seasons of illness, that a lot of times God's... God delays the healing because He wants to do a work in your life. He wants to do a drawing, breaking, humbling uh, work in your life. 
It's interesting how he puts uh, forgiving sins and healing diseases next to each other. Who forgives all your iniquities heals all your diseases. Uh, remember the story in the Gospels of the uh, Jesus teaching a room. The room was packed with people. The house was surrounded by people. They, 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 there was uh, four men uh, who were caring from somewhere, a paralyzed man. Uh, he was in a stretcher. And they had no way of getting to Jesus, so they went up on the roof and... They busted a hole through the top of the roof. They laid the the stretcher down and and and, uh, and put them before Jesus. And that that's a testimony of faith right there. But what was the first thing that uh, Jesus said to this man? Remember, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you are one of those people, now there were people, there were some Pharisees there who were aghast that a human being would ever say that to another human being. But if you're one of these people who had just like climbed up on this roof and taken a pick or whatever and smashed through this roof, it's like nice of you to forgive his sins. But that's not what we came here for. We came here for... Uh, for you to heal him. Like, ha, ha, what's up? Is that going to be coming, Lord? The priority of our life is indeed that our sins would be forgiven, that we would know the Lord, that we would walk with the Lord. I was, pa- I, I was you know, talking to Pastor Serge in Haiti last night, and he... He is very has been very much affected at the scene of pastors from the United States, including Calvary Chapel pastors, running down to Haiti, and no one's talking about declaring the gospel, teaching the word of God. They're all like, "I got to fix a house somewhere." Now, at one level, that's perfectly understandable that we would want to do that, right? But the fact of the matter is, is we know from the Word of God what God's priority is for people. It's better to... It is much, much better to die a paralytic but saved and spend eternity in heaven than to be healed and rescued and never be saved and go to hell. Now, obviously, Jesus combined the two ministries, but his priority was teaching the Word of God, was declaring the Gospel. And so, we want to start praying um, about, uh, over the next couple months, starting to... Uh, to, to send people down to, to teach because that's what he's, he is now asking for. So uh, we want to be praying about that. Now, of course, Jesus, he did wind up heal, he, healing uh, uh, that paralytic, but, I, but, but you know, I, I love what he says. He, 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 he healed the guy from his paralysis, but 
what he really wanted to demonstrate to everyone is that he, what did he say? He said, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He turns to the guy and says, rise and be healed. The priority for that man and everyone else is restoration with the Lord. And uh, because I know Serge very well, I know his heart, he, he, he's asking for medical teams to come down there and help. But I know his heart, and at the end of the day, there's lots of people who can go down and rebuild buildings and this type of thing. But there's only so many people who can go down and teach the Word of God. And there's a great harvest. There's this unprecedented opportunity for a harvest, harvest there, in, uh, there in Haiti. And so the priority we see here, the priority to restoration with God. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a work that the Lord will do in your life. Now, I know a lot of you are youth, but you know, not everyone in this room is a youth anymore. Um, some of us are, like to think we're still a youth, but we rely now on the Lord renewing our energy uh, like the eagles. But again, in verse 5, he's trying to stir up that heart of, of thanksgiving. He says, who, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Don't forget what the Lord has done in your life. You know, I uh, was talking with uh, a man today, and I underscore that word man, who is weeping because of the great things that the Lord has done in this life. Oh man, does he have it right. He really does. Uh, it was just, it was wonderful and very encouraging to behold. Uh, oh, that the Lord would stir all of our hearts uh, in the same way. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Why is it so important that we're regularly in the Word of God so we can come to know, K-N-O-W, the Lord? I've been talking a lot about that on Sunday morning. But the view that most of us, I would venture to say, probably most of us in this room, had of God growing up is that he was really uptight. Really uptight. It's like, sort of like the principal at a school who just can't get a good night's sleep because, oh no, there may be some kid preparing a cheat sheet at home, you know, and so they can't get to sleep. The Bible says that the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding. Think of just a fountain overflowing in mercy. Wonderful verse there. Verse 8. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. So, we may be in a season where there, that God is chastising us, disciplining us. He's doing that for our good, but He's not always going to strive with us nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our 
uh, iniquities. I believe the NIV says he doesn't deal with us uh, the way we deserve. And I often come back to this verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our, th- our sins. Uh, thank God that he, <laughs> he is not and that we don't get what, uh, what we deserve. The Lord is, is merciful. That's what mercy means. For as as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. Now, when you talk about heavens as high above the earth, you consider uh, the Milky Way galaxy, wherein it's a hundred million uh, light years across, and it's just a speck in another universe. I would say that wow, His mercy is truly, truly abounding. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. and uh, Or from us, rather. And, you know, it has been said uh, that the reason uh, he chooses here, as far as the east is from the west, the reason he chooses to say that is because if we walk north, Eventually, what will happen? We'll be walking south. We'll get to the North Pole and we'll be walking south. But if we walk east, we'll never, st- we'll, we'll, we'll never all of a sudden start walking west. We'll be going east forever and ever and ever. And that is a picture of how the Lord removes our sin. We talked about the Passover lamb in church this morning, how God puts the blood of the lamb above the door, on the doorpost and then above the doorpost. And at that point, he's no longer, no longer, he chooses no longer to even consider any kind of sin that may have happened in that house. All he sees is the blood, the blood of the lamb, and he passes over, um, the judgment. Verse 13, as far as As a father pities or cares for his children, so the Lord cares for those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now that verse 14 is a verse that I frequently also bring to mind. That God knows that I'm dust. And, you know, there's no excuse for my sin. There's no excuse for my failings. Uh, you know, I fall short in so many different ways of my life, but I'm comforted that God knows that I am dust, that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as flowers of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant to those who remember His commandment to them. Verse 19, the Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you as angels who excel in strength, who do His word. Now, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits to those who are given uh, salvation. That's who angels are. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of His who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, 
all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And verse 22 is an interesting verse. We probably will not see anything like this to the millennial reign when Jesus Christ, who promised to return, who promised to establish his kingdom on earth, uh, until that happens, where his entire dominion, all his works, are blessing him. But really, that should be the heart that we have, really for the whole world. That the Lord would be blessed by all his works in all places of his uh, dominion. So, that is large thinking uh, to be to be sure. In Psalm 104... It is a psalm of the history of Israel. A psalm of the history of Israel. And it says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. So there's this continued theme of we need to be blessing the Lord with our life. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who cover yourself with light as with a garment who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters who makes the clouds his chariot who walks on the wings of uh, the wing who makes his angels spirits his ministers a flame of fire. And so the 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 uh, the theme here is very simple. God is in control. And uh, really, um, a lot of this uh, psalm just has that very theme that you choose whatever you want to choose in the earth, whether it's the mountains and the, or the rivers or the clouds or the valleys. He just goes from one, st- one thing to another and just is just thanking the Lord that He is in control of all those things. You know, there is a tendency of our life that sometimes we we just feel like things are just out of control, and that's why these psalms just put us in put our mindset in the right place. That no, the Lord uh, is in control. Verse nineteen says He appointed the moon for the seasons. You know, it's, the moon is a fascinating thing. If the moon wasn't the exact same size as it was, as it is, rather, and if it wasn't the exact distance it was from the earth, all life would cease on the, uh, on the earth. You put the moon 10,000 miles closer to the earth, and uh, the tidal pull would be too great and the entire world would be flooded. If you, if you take it farther away, a completely different thing would happen because all the life, the ecosystem of the world depends upon the waters rising and, rec- rising and receding. God's in control of that. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun, uh, he appointed the sun. And he knows it's going down. The same thing with the sun. I love talking to uh, scientists who really know their stuff. Same thing with the sun. If it was at a different distance, if it was a different size, uh, that life would cease on earth. God is in control. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works! 
In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Verse 20 says, These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. Verse 30, You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. The, the Spirit of God renews the face of of the earth. Uh, indeed. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. So again, the psalmist, just with that desire to bless the Lord. It, it's, it's hard for us to, to even conceptualize sometimes you know, that we, someone like us or me, I mean, I'm a wretched worm. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. How could I bless the Lord? Well, the Bible says I can. And one of the ways that I can bless the Lord is, is the meditations of my, when the meditations of my mind, verse 34, are sweet to him. You know, I found that as as I grow as a, a Christian, I've been walking with the Lord for about 22 years, that, you know, within a number of years, a lot of those sort of sin habits had been, there'd been complete victory, um, you know, of them. But what, uh, but, but the Lord is always calling us to a deeper, more profound work with Him. And I got to tell you, one part of that is your thought life. You can literally rot away spiritually just because of what's going on in your mind. And on the external part, you can be, as Jesus said, you can be like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're just like dead man's bones. We can bless the Lord. And actually, most certainly we do bless the Lord. And just with the meditation, verse 34, may my meditation be sweet to him. Sometimes I, I find one of the hardest things in the world where my, my mind is starting to go to a place that is not glorifying God. It's amazing how difficult it is to just put put a check on it and just sort of... Just like repentance is defined as a U-turn. You're going in one direction, you go in another. It's, it's just as hard to do that with your thought life. It's just as much as a, of a faith walk, but it is possible. Um, you know, we do have control on, on certainly not a thought going into our mind, but certainly whether we play with that thought. Let's not fool ourselves. We have control over that. And let's not fool ourselves. God's not as concerned uh, on, on the external as He is what's going on on the internal. Our meditation is sweet to Him. Verse 35, it says, May sinners be consumed from the earth, the wicked be no more. But bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now, um, Psalm 105 is um, a... a a history of Israel. It's a song of history of Israel. Uh, and it's 
a history of the faithfulness of God in the life of Israel. Psalm 106 is also a history, but it's a history of how Israel mistreated God. So Psalm 105 is how God and how faithful he was to Israel. Psalm Psalm 106 is about how faithless Israel was to him. And, you know, you talk about, I talked this evening about keeping a journal, another uh, I, another thing I'm completely serious about doing is sitting down sometime and taking a week or two to write your own history just from the time uh, uh, of your childhood, of the history, because history is his story, his story in your life. And you may have gotten saved when you're 10, 20, 30, or 40, but... God was dealing with you all along, right up until your salvation and, and, and well afterward. You know, uh, history is his story. And, and it grieves me sometimes, you know, the kids, my kids come home uh, from their high school and things like that talking about their history teacher uh, and the crazy, re- actually absurd things uh, that some of the teachers are doing in history class completely rewriting American history and dissecting any positive light that that Christianity had on the birth of the country and completely twisting it around and calling what is what was something good actually calling it evil. It's just an amazing thing. The influence that Christ, Jesus Christ, had on this this country is just mind-boggling if you're actually willing to do your homework. I mean, some of the early leaders of the United States were over-the-top Bible scholars. John Quincy Adams... Uh, was what was he the sixth president of the United States? Knew fluent Greek, fluent Hebrew, studied the Bible for hours and hours and hours, uh, and uh, was just a, a walking lover of the Lord. And he was not a rare commodity. I mean, he, he didn't, have, you wouldn't have read, if you've gone back and read newspapers at the time, you wouldn't have read, you know, uh, the CNN of the time would not have been trashing him. Look at this prudish. It was like a normal thing at the time to, to be a man like that. I think of the influence of the Great Awakening, the revivals that just swept through this country uh, in the middle 1700s with George Whitfield just going up and down the coast of America speaking to 20,000 people at a time when there was no microphones. And and it was said at, at one time you would just, there. I read one account of Philadelphia, he said there's nowhere you could go and not have hear hymns being uh, on the street coming from people's houses uh, and just an excitement um, about the Lord. I think uh, of the 
role that the Bible has had uh, in this country. In the presidential debates where Abraham Lincoln was debating with Stephen Douglas, they were famous debates, they spent half the time debating the Bible. Seriously, you can go back and read about, about this yourself. These are two presidents sort of debating the, uh, uh, the Bible or quoting the Bible. But uh, it may not have been half, but a, a large amount of time it was, it was uh, devoted to uh, reading the Bible just on the, on the circuit. I was astonished the first time I read Abraham Lincoln's uh, speech at his second inauguration. I'm just going to read from it right now. Just shocking uh, that that this is what he said. You know, today, man, if, if the president has someone pray after his inauguration and they say in Jesus' name, there the press goes into an uproar. Can you imagine if a president today uh, said this speech. By the way, Abraham Lincoln is widely viewed as probably the best. George Washington is, some believe him, but the president that the United States ever had. This is what he said at the end of his speech. Speaking of the North and the South, he said, both read the same Bible. They pray to the same God. Each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask God's Adjust God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we not be judged. The prayers of Bosch could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. And then he, uh, he, he, he quotes, is this Isaiah? If someone knows this, you can shout out. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For no, oh, this is not Isaiah. This is Jesus. Sorry. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must need be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must need come, but which, having continued through His appointed time. He now wills to remove and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the judgment due to those by whom this offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly we do hope, fervently we do pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet... If God wills that it, it continue until all the wealth piled up by the, by the slave, slave, bondmans, the slaves, 215 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with a lash shall be paid by another drawn with a sword, as, with, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I don't know if you picked up what he just said, but he's, he's, what he's saying here is, look, we all pray for this war to end, but if it's God's will to execute judgment on this country and, and, and you know, way, way more blood be spilled than has already been spilled in order that all the evil, evil of slavery be paid for, 
he says, the judgments of the Lord um, are true and righteous altogether. And this is this is the this is one of the roles that the Bible had on everyday life in the United States of America. And people didn't hear this and go into a fit of rage and start frothing at the mouth. They just accepted it. It was just a normal uh, part of, of their life. His story. And we should, we should remember that for our lives, we shouldn't let someone else dissect his story of this country. We should go back into reliable uh, history books and read speeches. A speech like that does not lie. You can have some modern historian at Boston Latin or whatever high school saying, oh, Abraham Lincoln wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe in the Bible. Well, we have the original document, and this is what it says. Uh, uh, I think I'll believe this and not you, because I think you have an axe to grind. And so I don't want to go on this too far, but it's just uh, so important uh, that we remember that history is his story, and we don't let anyone rob us of the role that the Lord has played in our life or the life of um, our country. And so... As you uh, go through Psalm 105, it's, it's essentially, it is um, uh, a history, again, uh, just of how the faithfulness of God uh, and how he treated Israel. It's, uh, it, it, it's, verse 12 says, is when they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. This is speaking of Israel the time of Abraham and Jacob when they were just um, 70 in number up there in Canaan. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And, and you know, Israel at one time rose up to be a mighty, mighty nation. But... They were no safer under King David and King Solomon when they were a mighty nation. When They were no safer then than when they were just a band of 70 people wandering around Canaan. You know, the safest place to be is in God's will. And whether you're a ragged band of 70 or you have an army of 2 million, uh, as it says here, uh, God will rebuke kings uh, for your sake. And, and so then it goes on to describe how they went down uh, into Egypt, that they uh, multiplied uh, there, that Moses was uh, raised up. Uh, then it goes through the, uh, the, 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 the ten plagues and how uh, through the ten plagues uh, they were, the Pharaoh was uh, loosed his hand. Uh, then just finishes up in verse 42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the land of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that the, that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Now, in Psalm 106, it does the opposite. <laughs> it's the history of Israel and their lack of faithfulness uh, to uh, the Lord. You know, it, it, it talks about um, 
how they have this long history of sin. We, verse 6 says, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our uh, fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. But then it says, verse 8, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Now, what does that mean? For his name's sake. Well, as we've discussed many times, God doesn't have a name like Sally, Tom, or Harry. His name, he has, he has different names like uh, Jehovah uh, Jireh, God our provider, but what, or, or Jehovah Rapha, God who heals us. But another one of the names of God is His faithfulness and His faithfulness and God had promised to be faithful to Israel, and though Israel sinned, he was still faithful because he wanted to honor his name here. His, so that's why he saved them for his namesake, notwithstanding the fact that they had sinned in so many ways. Verse 10, he saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the uh, land of the enemy. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. You know, sometimes this is greatly regrettable, regrettable, but God will have us in a wilderness experience in our life. And rather than turning to the Lord, we, we, we just want a short-term fix for our stress, a short-term fix for being out in the wilderness and feeling lonely, and we'll turn to lust. It says they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They tested uh, God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. He sent leanness into their soul. And sometimes the Lord will send leanness into our souls so that we will uh, turn around and uh, we will uh, uh, seek the Lord. Verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb, meaning the golden calf. Verse 20, they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior. Now, remember the theme. What what happens with forgetfulness? Our, what goes? What goes? It, it spoils our faith. We forget God uh, when we forget. You know, we our, our faith basically crumbles when we forget what the things that the Lord has done in our life, and that's what it's speaking of here. Verse twenty-one: They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham. Awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach. Now, uh, underline that verse. He said he would destroy them had not Moses stood before him in the breach or in the gap. And you hear Christians um, use this term from time to time. It's sort of a prayer warrior term of standing in the gap. You know, we see a lot of terrible things happening in this country. 
But rather than just cursing the darkness and cursing, oh, our, our, our country is just so wicked. It's, I, I, God just come down and strike them all dead sort of deal. The Bible says that we're not to do that. We're supposed to, as this verse says, stand in the breach or stand in the, the gap, which means you step into the place of the sinner and you say, God, we've sinned. Have mercy on us for the, for your name's sake. Save us. And that's the kind of prayer, the kind of prayer warriors that, that I'm praying that God just raises us, raises, um, uh, uh, up uh, among us. You know, man, you look around and things, uh, really do, uh, look like they're getting worse. You know, there, uh, the Super Bowl's happening right now, right? And there's, there was, uh, one of the guys I've talked about, uh, really up here, Tim Tebow, uh, has a 30-second commercial on there uh, basically promoting life over abortion. There was a tremendous uproar uh, about it. And uh, at the same time, a, a gay dating service called mancrush.com offered the same amount of money to have their 30 seconds commercial in their 30 second commercial from what what was reported there's two guys kissing right there in the commercial for 10 seconds or some something with a guy next to them feeling very awkward that these two guys are kissing and the mainstream media has just ripped CBS apart for being hypocritical why are you allowing the one commercial when you don't allow that one the fact that's even being argued by the media is just inconceivable uh, you know i mean how wicked can we get that we're the mainstream media is putting forth these arguments rather than saying oh the you know getting in this rut where all we do is point the finger about how evil they are we need to say but for the grace go we we would be making those same arguments if it had not God saved us. We would be right there standing in the seat of the mocker. Uh, and, and rather than that, what we, what we need to do is stand in the breach, stand in the gap, say, Lord, we have sinned. Please have mercy on us. Pour out your spirit on us and, and save us. So this whole psalm is about uh, the uh, the this sort of this history of the faithlessness of Israel, but the psalmist is really standing in the gap himself. Look at verse 47 at the very end there. He says, Save us, O Lord, uh, Lord our God. Gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. So he's, he's doing what, uh, he's doing what Moses did. He's, he's, Standing in the breach here, he's standing in the gap saying, look, notwithstanding this long history of uh, faithlessness, of turning away from you in spite of the wonderful things that you've done, Lord, save us. Save us, please, Lord. Verse 48, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Uh, praise the Lord. And so I'm going to close there. But I'd, what I'd like to do just in the next uh, five to ten minutes, just grab someone uh, next to you, just gather around in little groups of, of two and three. And, and I just want you to stand in the gap, which we're com commanded uh, in the Bible to do, and ask God for mercy. 
Ask God for mercy for our country. Ask God for mercy for our, for our city. Just say to the Lord, we've sinned. Have mercy on us. 